Today we bring my dad back in to break down the song Comfort Eagle by Cake. I didn't even know that my dad knew this band, let alone would want to break down one of their songs. So it was really fun and interesting to get his take on the tune. I want to extend an invite to anybody out there, whether you know Michael and I or not, we would love to break down some music with you. Please reach out to us at songswedidn'twrite at gmail.com. No apostrophe between the N and the T. But songswedidn'twrite at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. My username is shaggyverses. That's S-H-A-G-G-Y-V-S. Send me a message. We would love to break down a song with anybody out there that's listening. Um, we could do it in person or virtually if you live far away or would prefer that. We, uh, we would be able to do that as well. So hit us up. Enjoy this tune for now. school that I don't really talk with anymore. And it's not because I don't like them or they're horrible people now. It's like, mo it's just like most people. You have friends then and, but you necessarily don't keep them. But here, here's, here's why I bring it up because I had a couple of really good friends, Pat Ty and Neil Englert were good friends of mine in high school. Uh, a lot of the friends I had back when I was in high school were actually from church. Most of, like some of them that kind of stuck with me for a little while longer. Those two loved cake. I don't, I don't know if they liked the, uh, the dessert cake, but they loved this band. And so when you brought up doing a cake song, I immediately thought of Neil Angler and Pat Ty because I don't listen. I, I, <clears throat> I actually kind of like cake songs, but I have not listened to, I've never put one of their albums on. And I, and I, I may go and listen to more of them now that we had this. And I thought to myself, I'm like, dude, I didn't know my dad even listened to music past the eighties. And so to bring up a song from the yachts, right? I get to use the yachts. The Woo! I thought, dude, I don't hear you listening to too many songs from the two thousands, man. I really don't. Cause a lot of it, I would have figured you would have just, uh, either dismissed or didn't really, you know, have a, I, I just, I could, I cannot think of a song right now that came out in the 2000s that I would think this is a meaningful song to my dad. So this one was kind of interesting. I'm a little interested to hear how this kind of came about. And Well, as you probably know, I have eight children, not just Brandon. And uh, Brandon's the second oldest. And uh, so my youngest daughter, Barbara, is actually the one who introduced me to Cake. Cake was actually old when she was listening to it, probably, because she was born in 2000. And um, we actually, Barbara and I went to a Cake concert. No way. You went and you saw them live, huh? I saw them live. I, wow. saw the, I saw Cake live in Madison at the, the outdoor, what's the name of the outdoor Something field down down by the water. No, no, uh, they've got a breeze field or something. Gosh, I, I, a breeze free, some field. 
I'm sorry, I'm horrible. But um, it's an it was an outdoor venue, pretty much downtown. I don't know. We might have been close to water. There wasn't any water on where we were. <laughs> anyway, uh, we paid a little bit extra, you know, to get uh, right down there close, and um, it was really fun. I had a great time. They did not play this song, and I was super disappointed. There came a point where people were calling out songs, and somebody called out a song, and they played it. And when I had his attention, I was close enough. I screamed. It. Barbara rem- reminded me of this. She said, I screamed Comfort Eagle. And he turned. He he heard it and still didn't play it. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. Like, what I like dickhead. how in your face, man, in your face, you just have this resentment. <laughs> and and I'll tell you something else. He missed out on a financial opportunity by not having... Uh, pennant keychains for sale. Yeah. <laughs> I would have paid a hundred dollars for a pennant keychain as a souvenir that said Comfort Eagle on it. I, I would have paid. I would have. I would have paid a hundred dollar bill. Boy, that is definitely a missed opportunity. It, he, why would you? How can you have any merch at all and not <laughs> pennant keychains? I swear to God. I mean, unless it's a principal or something that he has risen above. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was very disappointed, but um no, she she actually Barbara, we we listened to this CD um oh, over and over I, the whole CD I really really enjoyed. And actually, the cover band I was in a few years ago, we did uh a short skirt long Yeah, back and, I remember that. And uh, so I knew the baseline for that. And so that's kind of what got me started, I think. I had to learn that. I I hadn't heard that song before, but I liked it. And I had to learn to play that bass line, which is kind of challenging. Actually, it's a good bass line. It's a solid. They're a solid band. The yeah. musicianship is solid. Mm-hmm. Um, the singing is not what you would say is like world-class singing, but it gets the job done and it's so unique and 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 you just you, you end up getting kind of hypnotized by the guy, which I think is a theme in this particular song. The hypnotism mm-hmm. is a theme in this song. But um, uh, but anyway, so yeah, and Barbara was into Cake, and so we listened to that album. This whole Comfort Eagle album is, I think, very good. I like a lot of the songs. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but see, this is you missed out on this. I mean, you were you were a, an old family man by the time I'm chasing around kick uh, concerts with a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's part of the beauty of having eight kids spread apart over so many years. Over you get, you know, to, a you get to live vicariously right. yeah. through young ones while well, other ones. Are I'm still old. raised. I mean, I took you to concerts. I took oh, you yeah. to a lot of concerts, and so I mean, I, I mean, I had to. What am I going to? I do? remember us going to. Yeah, dude, I I remember us listening to Audio Adrenaline oh, together. Oh my gosh, and we, and we were, saw them in DC Talk together. We, yep, we did DC Talk. Oh my goodness, dude. I it, it's funny because although you had your own music that you liked, you did make a point. Like even with Switchfoot, I remember you. I've, there was a bit the band the waiting had a song that we oh, both loved just loved song. and so there were there I, were i was in a band that played a switchfoot song too yep and mm-hmm. um uh what else was something that we uh oh um oh my gosh newsboys oh we saw, that dude, was a great concert unbelievable concert actually that one plank eye third day third day and plank, newsboys yeah. but uh, dude newsboys just unbelievable that drum solo yeah, was amazing. They have the, they have a drum kit on a circular riser, 
there's actually two drum kits. You don't realize this. They got this drummer just going bananas. But then the vocalist for the Newsboys used to be the drummer for the Newsboys. And so when they go to the drum solo, he goes back onto that other kit, buckles a seatbelt. And I was wondering why he buckled the seatbelt. The whole stage starts to rotate, and then it goes sideways like the face of a clock. And you're watching like the face of a clock spin with two drummers going absolutely ape. Yeah, uh, uh, both for a drum of them. Co- it's just, it was really, really cool. That was one of the best concert moments. I mean, I've seen a lot of concerts. I mean, I saw concerts before you were heard of, mm-hmm. and when they were used to, when they used to put on concerts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that but Newsboys it, one was something it special. Was. Well, I liked that whole thing we got in there for Plank Eye. The end, Plank Eye was awesome. And third day was yeah, take them or leave them. But there was a little emo for me, but I mean, they emo. were. <laughs> I would have never described third day as emo. I'm probably wrong. Right. I'm probably no, wrong. no. It, 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 yeah. That was a great concert, though, man. I loved oh. Plank Eye back then. Actually, that yeah. I, I really liked Newsboys. Um, I, I did, but they were also slightly poppy. They were slightly a little commercial but, too. Yeah. But they had a few tracks that were were solid, very, very good. So I, I was happy to see them, but I was really into Plank Eye back What's then. What's the name of that song where it says, if you're going past the yeah, fridge? Yeah, bring me something from the fridge. Bring from, yeah. It's the last track on, or second to last track on uh, uh, Take Me to Your Leader. That album, Take Me to Your Leader, yeah, is something special. It man. really is. That, was, I, that I song name that. will come to me, or I'll look it up when one yeah, of you are talking, it, because it, that, that song was... Um, uh, for at a season in my life, that was my favorite song. I would I wouldn't doubt it. There was a season in my life that was just and, um, unbelievable, man. Babylon B made a parody of uh, Breakfast one time on Facebook that was oh. incredible. It was really incredible. It's Don't funny how man. It's funny talking <laughs> with you because I I'm listening to the song in my head right now. And it's funny how a song can be so meaningful to you at a time, and you can't even remember the name of it. <laughs> um. Michael, what's your experience with the Newsboys? <laughs> That's why we're here today. So, when it comes to cake, get you jabronis. <laughs> this is usually Brandon's job. He's usually the responsible one. Uh, my introduction to cake... So, I was around somewhere between 17 and 19. And at the time, I went over to this party. And it's important to state where I was at before I went to the party. And that was my house where, at the time, I literally slept on a a living room floor. I was living on my own with uh, Tyler Wolf, Tyler Shoutout, and uh, a couple other people and like, I just didn't have much money. I was using a lot. It was, like, just a really, just kind of a sketchy, like, living situation. And so when I would go over to people's houses that were, like, my age or close to, and they, like, had things, like, at that age, I often, you know, thought of status and, like, identity, and I was just, like, would feel inferior, you know? And I'm like, oh, man, I'm such a piece of shit. You know, this person actually has, like, a couch, you know? And, like... <laughs> That was, those were thoughts that went through my head. And we went over to this, but usually, you know, if someone had a couch and a TV and, you know, a couple of those things, their own car, you know, between like my whole group of friends, we probably had like two cars uh, (laughs) between like six or eight people. (laughs) So it's just like, 
we just weren't super affluent. And so like when we'd go to people's houses that had like a fully furnished apartment, everyone had their own car and stuff. I'd be like, oh man, <laughs> way out of my league here. This, this is the life. <laughs> yeah. So like we went to this house. Not only did these humans have a fully furnished apartment and their own vehicles and food in the fridge. Uh, we went over to this place and it was like hardwood floors. Um, I, I think it was like a second story apartment with a balcony and there was like a pool table in the, the middle of the room and it was just a really cool looking place, you know? And, and I had that feeling like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I, it's, it's like the episode on the office where Robert California chooses the winners and the losers and he <laughs> takes the winners out to lunch and Toby's like, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be here. Just just forget I was even here. <laughs> and he leaves. That's how I felt at the time. But anyways, Cake was playing. And I was like, dude, this this is like music is so cool. I never heard anything like it before. Um there's parts that, you know, maybe can reminisce some like ska, whatever, sublime stuff, which I used to be obsessed with sublime, but Anyways, um, so for some reason, the way I uh, digested music at the time is I thought about things that, you know, like identity and stuff like that. I, I didn't think about things the way I do now. Like now it's like if it's something I enjoy, I'm just going to explore it. Like I don't care, you know. But then I was like, oh, man, is this my style? Like is this my thing? And for some reason, I tell this whole damn story to say I thought cake was like too cool for me. It felt like too like intellectually like jazzy you know what i mean like too like satirical and i didn't get it i don't know why the hell i thought that <laughs> but because of that i didn't listen to cake until i started listening to it yesterday um for no but i, I would listen to him from time to time um in my in my 20s and i thought they were neat but just never tapped into him so listening to this song comfort eagle it was it was fun to kind of go back and pick it apart so you never felt worthy <laughs> to listen to cake if if it wasn't apparent to you that I have very deep-seated self-esteem issues, the fact that I didn't seem worthy to listen to fucking Kate is concerning. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't have to say that. <laughs> being aware, so, so Brandon, being to, aware of the problem is the first step. To to use a to use a line from Becky, uh, which apparently. Brandon's wife, Becky, their dog, who I just heard yapping just now. Their dog is always yapping at the feet of people when they're walking around. And Brandon tells me that Becky uses the line, what's your damage? <laughs> so, Brandon, what's your damage with this song? Oh, I, I don't really have any damage with this song other than I, I, miss, I miss my old friends from high school. I don't do that often. I, there's not really much about high school I'd ever want to go back to, but... I would love to reconnect with Neil or Pat. Um, they, they were pretty damn cool. They, they did like, uh, it's funny that you say this kind of has a little bit of like a ska element to it because those guys were really into real big fish as well. And some of those bands, they kind of did the same scene kind of liked some of those bands. And I did get into um, some ska, Supertones, Five Iron Frenzy. But this is another one of those bands where in their, in their prime, um, yeah, I, I was only listening to Christian music at the time, man. It was, it was a, it was. Yeah, I looked. So I kind of, I think I kind of maybe missed 
listening to this band at a time in life where I probably otherwise would have because some of my friends were really into them. I probably would have, but I just, I had separated myself from it for whatever reason. And so, you know, I did take the opportunity to listen to this album in its entirety, actually a couple of times after you'd mentioned you wanted to bring this song to the table, Dad, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think his vocal style is so... Um, it fits the songs. I mean, it's it's yeah. very... As a band, there's some good chemistry there, and they're not they're not like... You know, it, you, you can say, okay, well, they kind of were in that same scene, but a lot of the bands people would listen to that also listen to this, there's not a whole lot out there that's like it. And, and what's funny is, is it's very catchy. It's very catchy as well. And so it's not like it's this out there weird thing that you have to have this certain taste for, right? It's, it's catchy enough, and it's just uh, I, I definitely different. I really like it. I, I think that was initially my uh, appeal, that um to to cake was that that well these are they're not tr they're not trying too hard to be different that that in other words i mean sometimes i i, I get the feeling when people oh you got to hear this band nobody you know i'm the only one that knows about this band and you bring it to them and that's because they're crap you know but um <laughs> <laughs> Cake's not like that. I mean, cake is. I mean, and uh, you know, okay, commercial sellout. All right, I mean, they're good. the The lyrics are solid. The, the The structure is appealing. They do interesting thing with uh, uh, um, uh, alternative melodies in, within the song. That um, in, in this song, especially, I love the. You know, when they do that. And you know they've got this driving guitar, and then they've got that little clanky thing they do. Um, uh, that little clanky thing they do is almost like bells. And then at the end, when it's kind of quiet, they're doing that same melody on guitar. But my, I'm sorry, my, this isn't the time to do nerd level stuff, is it? Anyway, no, do but, whenever, but, whenever it's natural. <laughs> Go ahead. But. Um, but the, the every element of this song, I mean, that was like one of the things I loved about Rush. You know, that Rush would would have take us in a in a part would take a um, you know just a small little hook, and he'd maybe in uh, Getty Lee would play it on the keyboard, you know, the hook, and then next thing you know, Alex is playing the guitar along with it, and then pretty soon Getty switches to his bass and he's stumping the same thing, you know that that just. I, you know, and they did that in this song. I love, I love that when you've got like a clinky little thing, and then all of a sudden you're playing it on guitar. The only time that happens, and uh, that was the whole music is interesting, um, but the lyrics are really what appealed to me on this song. It's just such a, um, it's whimsical, yet you know it's important, and um, and, and it's you know, I mean, my goodness, they're talking about an onion head hat. And yet, you know, you know, there's more behind all of this. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, the the lyrics are a direct assault on the music industry. Well, just a uh, direct it, assault. Absolutely, on yes. And and uh, I like how you said there's this. Uh, 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 what did you say? It was hypnotizing, right? The yes. song. It's it's got this. So what what's kind of what's kind of cool is the vibe of the music. You kind of feel that snake charmer esque kind of thing going, and and it is, and 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 the the line in there, which if you're gonna go a little bit into the nerd level detail, I guess I'll just go to, 
my favorite lyric, which is uh, uh, pretty early in the song where he says, to resist it is useless. It is, it is useless, useless to, to resist, resist it. it. And that line, I like it because the, the music the mood of the music is is that like when you're when you're getting hypnotized when you've got that snake charmer going you're not going to be able to resist it man it's just going to it's going to get you and and the music industry and uh the the grip that the music industry had on on you know d determining who could be heard what what was uh you know who was really going to be famous what was going to make the most amount of money that was driving it um I don't know. There's there's this kind of cool. That's what the I mean. The title of the song is Comfort Eagle, and you know, Co Comfort Eagle being somebody that is is very wealthy has can just spend their money as they please without having any fear of you know running out. And these big dogs at the top of the music industry and how they are kind of dictating it. He's he's got this this whole satirical take on that. But I think while that concept is something that is prevalent in in other songs by other artists or it's really talked about a lot in the music industry is having these big, you know, um, music industry execs. I mean, they make movies on the stuff, right? It's not right. a foreign concept, but I do think that the way that they, they put this, the vibe of the music, the way that they have that along with the lyrics is a very, very cool take on the subject. When it comes to the satirical nature i think for artists there is this element of I, I really don't subscribe to the whole like stay in your lane as as it pertains to creating like definitive boundaries with with how you create art but there is an element of you know intrinsic value in like who you are and what your style is that's a little difficult to escape from i.e. there's there's a reason why Bill Burr does what he does and Tony, Tony Morrison did what she did you know like we are we have people that are vastly different with vastly different experiences different styles things we understand and so we kind of work with what we got you know and I think Cake the the front man, you know, and particularly the narrator of the song, the satirical nature just like works with what they're talking about. I don't see them as a band that would be able to talk about like the underbelly of the, you know, monetization of the music industry in ways that are, you know, um, you know, more like sorrow filled and more like, you know, directly, you know, palpable in ways that are, you know, dramatic. You know what I mean? I don't think that they're going to be able to take on, um, you know, some of these topics with more of a, uh, a sincere, you know, um, ability, and that's not in, like, a bad way. For some reason, I just feel like their style and the style of the music, it kind of requires a bit of jest to it for it to kind of hit home, you know? Because for some reason, it would almost seem kind of hokey if the lyrics were more like kind of sincere, uh, agreed, man. Yeah, if they wrote like a ballad that they were trying to have some sincerity behind it, yeah, you'd be like, "This is garbage." And even if, even if they, yeah, even if they rearranged, it's just them as them as a band. So I don't know. They 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 work well. I feel like they really work well with what they got. And you know, one of one of my favorite you know lyrics in this is when he just says, "You know, he is calling you, dude." There's just something that like is great about that you know i don't know it's it's funny because i come from like a dude 
generation. <laughs> like sometimes the word dude just seems like the most moronic thing, you know? Like I'm like, I think I'm dumber as a person on how often I say dude, but that's fine because that's just who I am. It just comes natural. But like, you know, those kinds of people who use dude in the way he's using it. Yeah. You know, I just picture like a, a guy at like a Red Bull stand. Like outside, like a Milwaukee Bucks game or something. He's like, "Yo, you wanna, you know, what, what, what is the term? Whatever, man. You wanna get your wings, dude? Here you go. Go to RedBull.com." No, I I love that because I, I have those lyrics highlighted as well. Where he's like, "Now his hat's on backwards. He can show you his tattoos. He's in the music business. He's calling you, dude. Like they know how to talk the talk. You know, it's it's definitely I I yeah. I love the that. indictment here, I believe. Uh, you said it's full-on assault on the music industry, but the indictment isn't, I, I feel, on the record producers or even the musicians. It's on the fans. It's the, on the followers. Like, we're building a religion. Are you are you going to be a sheeple? You know? Um, and uh, uh, it, it's it's... I think that you could make reference to the commercialism of actual religion in it. There's an indictment there that could be used for that. But to make something so commercial as pop music your religion is really the indictment. And here, you know, you know, instead of here here's by your cross necklace, by your Pennant keychains. I I just I love that. Uh, but what? But one of the things too. That it, if if I if I'm permitted, one of my favorite lyrics is, um, uh, "Do you believe in the one true edge?" And then fastening your safety belts and standing and walking towards the ledge. I the reason I like that is that 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 they there's this mock sense. Um of courage, I think it's pervasive in society now. Like this idea, you know, I went I went on a zip line or I went on a really rad roller coaster and you know and and acting as if you've done something brave while in our society real courage is sometimes disdained. And um so this mock idea of oh 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 you're so, you know, take, I, I think he's using it in the sense of, uh, oh, we're, we're out there musically taking chances, you know, really. You're, set, you're putting on your safety harness and walking towards the ledge. You're, you're, wow, that's real risky. Because I think that's, and I think that's the indictment. This, all this mock, um, oh, aren't they brave? Aren't they courageous? Aren't they putting themselves out there? Yeah, bullshit. I'm sorry, but you know, and, and I, I I just love that sense of like, because um, the whole thing is about you've been duped, man. You've been you've been hypnotized. You've been you know to follow this, and they started a religion, and you just you you joined. You're tithing. You're attending. You're buying the merch, you know, and and uh, wow. That's to me is like, and then and they they're telling you the whole time while you're just this flea bitten sheep. Oh, you're so brave. You're so innovative. You're so you can you do whatever you can do. What you can be whoever you want to be. Like, no, it's I that's what I just I love that part of it. 
that essence of this. That's an essence of the song. It, I have, it's funny because I have mixed, I have so many mixed thoughts the older I get and the more I write my own music and then I hear music. And there, there was a time in life where I just, uh, I would not admit my guilty pleasures in music, you know? Um, like Phil Collins. I genuinely liked a couple of his tunes and I just didn't want to admit it to anybody. But, <clears throat> you know, there, there's, there are things like that that over time it's like, well, wait a second. It needs to be what moves you. And I think that that's where, that's where some of this, when, it, when he says to resist it is useless, is because you could have these really famous pop singers and the chord progressions are simple. The musical elements are simple. They've got a good timber to their voice. They're a good vocalist and they, they look sexy and they can market the hell out of them. And then there's a part of, part of an artist that might have that, that there's still an element within it musically that might touch you, that might hit you. And so like, it's funny because in one way, you're this hipster guy that's like, well, I don't want to feed the man. You know, I don't want to do that. But then it's speaking you, to you as well, so it's useless to resist it. They're going to find a way to capitalize on it because it's, it's, it's impacting somebody in an emotional or whatever way. And, and so it's, it's like, go, go with it, buddy. There's no way we're not printing money doing this, you know? And so it, it's, it's funny, too, because it's not something you could look at and be like, just stop being a sheep. You know, because it's not necessarily it, it, any anybody who's in a cult. They're not gonna. They're not knowing they're in the cult in the moment. But then also for for some of this music, man, dude, there are some artists that the music industry is just making hand over fist, treating the artists like crap, and yet you're just like, yeah, but I really like the song, and it's just like you know. It's just like labor in other countries. They're paying people cheap. They're providing horrible places to work. But yeah, I still kind of want the phone they're making. You know, it's just you. You can't. It's useless to try to resist it or change it because it's going to be a cash cow no matter which way you do I, it. I um, I, I I I wasn't trying to put myself in some sort of sort of elite categories. If I rise, I can rise above any of this. <laughs> I'm I'm right there uh, on the edge, thinking I'm brave with my safety harness on. I'm just I'm just I'm not I'm not trying to pretend I'm something different. In fact, it it, it always amazes me. I, I uh, um, Led Zeppelin is one of the band, one of my favorite bands. Uh, Queen's another one of my favorite bands, and uh, they um, I've listened to so much Led Zeppelin music, and they I mean they had whatever eight albums, and I mean they've got deep tracks. And you know, but somebody says, "So, what's your, what's your favorite Led Zeppelin song?" You're, among Led Zeppelin fans, they try to go so deep. They try to go so you know, dig deep into it. And I do like some of you, man. I, Stairway to Heaven, man. So that's, that's, <laughs> and when you say that, it's like, what a freaking yeah, loser! You don't listen to Led Zeppelin. If that's yeah, the only exactly. song you like. Yeah. like. yeah, yeah, it's pretty much yeah. Oh, I like a whole lot of love too. <laughs> and, and but 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 it's like. It's useless to resist it. Yeah, it's, it's 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 beautifully done. Now I could be super hip and cool and go off track and tell you, you know, 
gallows pole, but I don't really like gallows pole. I can't believe they did it. It's dumb. It's a deep <laughs> track. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, that's I, I'm not. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not. I didn't. When I said all of that, I wasn't trying to say I'm not one of those lemmings going oh, off no, the cliff. I no. I <laughs> I under I understand. But see, I think that's what's cool. That's what's kind of provocative about this song, though, is that. I would think even the artist would have to admit that there's a layer of that. It's just it, it that's why that line it was so meaningful to me is that it's it's useless to resist it because it's it's destined to be a cash cow. I mean the the music industry for some of these people. Now, also back then uh um it times are a little different 20 years later, right? Um it's a very very significant difference cuz did this album come out in like 2001? Maybe was it two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand something? But it, it's twenty years now since this album came out, and one of the major differences is that the avenues that people could release their content is dramatically different than it was when this came out. And so, whether it's videos, whether it's music, you have things you know like YouTube and all kinds of social media platforms and. Um, uh, uh, different ways to put. You've got there. There are websites now that you could go on and pay very minimal fees to master your recording, and it runs it through this engine and it pumps it out in three to five minutes, and it sounds fantastic because they've got all this stuff behind it that it's kind of reading the track. There's all kinds of different technology and different ways for home artists to do things, and then put their content out. And you have you have people making hand over fist, making homemade videos on YouTube because they've just got a, they've got a bunch of subscribers watching it. And so the music industry, though, was you, you, had to, you had to make it in some way. You had to climb some kind of ladder in a, in a way that the only way people even back in 2000 were really getting to that is just, just pledging your allegiance to the music industry to get your art out. Because if you didn't do that, you didn't have an avenue to get it out to the masses. And so I, what I do like nowadays is that as harsh as this is on the music industry, there aren't going to be a lot of these kinds of songs the older we get because it has become less and less relevant. And Tyler Tomaszewski, actually, when we were sitting with him, he kind of he kind of brought it up in a different way in that, you know, no effects back in the day kind of brought up the music industry is going to go down, those big execs, they're not going to, you know, they kind of predicted this whole, it's not going to be this way forever. And honestly, while there are still some record labels cash cowing and putting a bunch of stuff out, the way you can put your content out now, you don't have to join forces with a major record label to have millions of people listen to your stuff. And I think as we get older, as the years pass by, there's going to be even more avenues for that. And it's going to begin to have that, that kind of big major music exec, exec at, least, at least the options for there to be many of those like there has in the past, it's going to dwindle over time. Okay, I agree with all of that. <clears throat> except? The, well, no, no. I agree. No, I agree. There's not an except on it. But I, I will tell you that I think that the the theme of this song, though, still, I mean, the ones that are getting the subscribers are are people subscribing because the artist is um, pure and true, and they can relate, or is the artist putting out stuff just to get subscribers? There's, that's really the element I yeah. think in this is it are 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 you getting subscribers because? You're honestly doing what you, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there has to be, 
uh, a division in it. But that's again, like uh, you know, it, it it asks a question. That to me, this is the thing. It asks a question. You don't have to get an answer for it, but it asks a question. You know, are you sincere enough with your music, or or are you just trying to get subscribers? Are you just trying to make money yeah. in the long run? You know, uh, obviously, you know, serving the man. But I don't think this song's necessarily about the man uh, altogether. It's about the hordes that are yeah. that are feeding the man, and then the man looks down at those and sees the cardboard shanties and tents and and doesn't care. So, but but that's I mean, just because he knows where you know where your party is and he's serving you food does and calling you dude doesn't mean <laughs> yeah no that's good yeah, but I, so I I uh, the essence of this song I think is always going to be there uh, um, and I think that the changes coming about in the music business are awesome it's 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 making it easier to find sincere people but it's making it to find somebody that's really super good is like a needle in a haystack too now too because it there's is, so much it is what i like that's a side effect from all the stuff you know twitch and youtube and you know other streaming platforms is that the money can go directly into the artist's pocket and there's less, I mean, with YouTube, of course, you've got ads and there's certain, a certain level of, of the man that's being fed, of course, that's, that's going to happen if somebody created a platform for you to put it out on. But um, there's far less percentage of that going into somebody else's pocket than the artist. So there are some, some better avenues. You've you got places like Bandcamp, if people can kind of get into that and buy the album and have it go directly to the artist. And some of those outlets now that weren't necessarily around in 2000 are some, some cool additions to, yeah, cool, cool, cool opportunities for people now. So I think in this song, there's a little bit of, to go off of what both of you are saying, I think there's a little bit of self-accusation, you know, I think I, I, I would assume that the narrator partially recognizes how religious his own fans are and their own following is with their own music. Because although there weren't many um, established, you know, successful bands such as Cake nationally, I, w I would, I would um, argue that locally, at least like on the, are they from California? They sound Certainly like it, sound like had, it. you're asking the wrong but, um, dude. Anyways, at least on the West Coast at the time, there was quite a few bands that I even heard too, like in, in the early aughts. I, I learned <laughs> the aughts like five weeks ago, literally like five or six weeks ago, maybe longer. I was on the phone with the sponsee and he said the aughts and I was like, wait, is that like established? Like, is that what we call that? He's like, yeah. And I was like, it kind of felt good because I, at the Harley shop, I loved when people would say O eleven or O ten. Yeah, when they're talking <laughs> what, what year and, is your motorcycle? O eleven. And I'm like, wait, say that again? <laughs> what was that? Let, yeah, let me make this clear for you. So far we've been going with this O thing <laughs> when it's the odds. So we needed that so that people didn't have to go to the Harley counter and say that. So I don't know, maybe they'll catch on. But I think there's a bit well, it of was uh, just to clarify in in nineteen twenties. They referred to the 1906 as the odds. Okay, nice. So there is a precedent. At least we're okay. So we're consistent with our centurion brother, brethren, <laughs> sister, <laughs> people. <in. laughs> uh, 
They won't be proud of many things of us, but at least they'll be proud of that. Did you so. just say Centurion Brethren? <laughs> I don't even know if that makes sense. It sounds like a great band I name. I was going to say, it sounds like a good metal album name. <laughs> Digging up graves to get to know my Centurion Brethren. I, I applied to be a grave digger one time, and I actually didn't get the job off Milton Avenue. You would have so sucked at it, so I'm glad you didn't get it, buddy. <laughs> that should be a compliment. They looked at me and said, no. Um, so I think. Sorry, son, you're no grave digger. <laughs> how, how does that conversation even go? You'll be really great at data entry someday. <laughs> I don't think you should do this. I I literally looked like I should have been in a grave, and I walked four miles to that interview that day with Tyler Wolf, and never got that opportunity. I'm I'm fine about it. Okay, I'm okay. We're all okay. So when it comes to the self accusation, I, I mentioned with with the narrator, I think part of like they do have this, you know eccentric kind of cool element to their music you know what i mean and i think the the narrator is playing off of that and so this the the stanza take a bite of this apple mr corporate events take a walk through the jungle of cardboard shanties and tents from what i read the singer you know is you know uh, seems to be quite the activist or has, you know, a lot of activist beliefs. And celebrity activist is kind of a, a funny cliche because that you can't really argue. Because when people are like, oh, that's cool, you know, you're an activist. And it's like, well, we kind of we kind of need celebrities to do something with their money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what do we... I remember I dissed Oprah's book club uh, to a really clever sponsee of mine. It was only a couple weeks ago. I was like, yeah, I was on Oprah's book club. He's like, wait a second, are you hating on one of the few book clubs left. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> who, who, which other celebrity has a book club that encourages people to read? And I was like, all right, whatever. Dude, Check Dolly me. Parton does, man. We get a free book every month for Sully. Oh, Dolly Parton. Paid for by Dolly Parton. Yeah. Oh, paid for by her. Yeah, she, we get a free book in the mail. I think it's once a month. Maybe wow. once a quarter. But yeah. Wow. Thanks, wow. Dolly. There's a lot there. Yeah. If I if I would have like who would have known fifty years ago that someday Dolly Parton would contribute to the literacy of your son? Yeah. That's the, we just need to all understand we don't know shit about what's gonna happen in the future. <laughs> Cause I'm not looking at Rihanna thinking, you're gonna teach my grandson how to build engines. But that might happen. Uh anyways, I've had the mic. Way too long. And for all those who are celebrity activists to the next level there. (laughs) Bring it on a teacher. Just somebody to rebuild a motor. I love it. So yeah. That's a thought. I'm pretty sure that's a thought you just put out in the atmosphere that nobody has had. All right. We might have just experienced history. Yeah. No one was looking at the gigantic chest of Dolly Parton. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 1970 and was thinking you know what one day those puppies are gonna get enough money to teach sully how to read in 2020 what the fuck is going on in this world oh, anyways so all right can i, can I tell uh, my favorite story about dolly parton <laughs> sure why would we go why there? wouldn't we um 
she's actually an incredible woman. I don't, I, I don't care for her music or anything, you know. But, and I did not know she was sending books to Sully, so I'll send her a thank you note for that. But I, um, she wrote us that song that Whitney Houston does, that "I Really Love You." She wrote that song, and um, she had a hit with it, like. I I will always love you. I will always yeah, okay. love you. Yeah. Just want to make sure. Yeah, I really love you. I'd never heard. I think that's sorry, man. I saw like a that, jerk. No, that was the that, that was right? the first version, and then her husband got really upset because he was like, "Well, for how long?" <laughs> okay, anyway, Boy, we are but fully after it was, off the track. After it was point. a after it was a hit. Elvis Presley wanted to do the song, and she it would have always been her dream to write a song for Elvis Presley, but he didn't. She owned her own. Um, publishing at the time, and he didn't wouldn't do the song unless he got half of the publishing, and she she wouldn't do it. And so later, when Whitney Houston sang the song, it made Dolly Parton literally millions of dollars, and half of all of that would have gone to Elvis if she'd have let him record it. So interesting. So I I, I want to. So that's what she's paying those for those books. She's using that money. <laughs> Feels guilty for taking well, off from no, Whitney. No, she, it's enabled her no, to be a celebrity yeah. activist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Michael, did you did you complete your thought before I get into mine? No. Okay. Go ahead. I only started it. I'm gonna breeze through it because last time I tried to make this point, it got real bad. So <laughs> I think part of the kind of self accusation here is when he's talking about biting the apple and the cardboard shanties and what have you. I think I think the artist partially is trying to wrestle with what kind of following and influence am I even creating? Like I'm I'm jamming these tunes and I see, you know, I they do have merch, they do have record contracts, they were very commercially popular. And I think in the artist's mind, he's wrestling with the fact of walking through these streets and seeing all this lack of comfort, right, in this in this poverty, and probably wondering what is my place in this and what is our place in this, you know? And so it's, it's, I think there's some irony in how hypnotic the song is, how trance-like it is, because I think a lot of, you know, artistry is a questioning of self and an investigation into, you know, um, the actual narration of the piece. And so I think there's a lot of that going on. And, if if the artist was in denial of that, I, I would be kind of surprised. Yeah, that's an interesting that's thought, and I mean, especially when he's wrestling with the idea of right at the beginning, he's not trying to downsize. He's widening the corridors and making new lanes. He's we're building this, mm -hmm. we're making it bigger. Um, so that I, that's interesting that he might that that's a, that's a real valid I, I concept that he's here. I am building this religion, and yet. Am I feeding the poor? Yeah. Interesting. Because if the artist is outrightly excluding themselves from this process, then that is incredibly presumptuous and completely lacking humility. So if, that's, sure. the, if that's the route they're going, then I, I think that's a bit error prone. No, I'm pretty sure you nailed it <sighs> yeah, uh, no, with that. No, I'm I I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure that what you just said is, is, is probably at the heart and soul of why he wrote this and something I didn't think of until you said it now. So I appreciate the word, Brother Michael. Honestly, I think you're right. He's got to be. He's yeah. got to be battling that. No, I agree. I think that's central. That that has to be the central. Or the yeah. Um, my favorite musical element is the shaker in this song. 
How's that for a complete fork in the road? Let's get away from Dolly Parton. Let's talk about shakers. It actually doesn't come in all that often, but dude, when it comes in, man, there's a shaker that comes in and it just feels right, dude. It feels right. I love a tambourine and a shaker right at the right time. There are two things in music that, boy, I hear so many songs that's like a tambourine needs to be right here, guys. And a tambourine is not as like a, a, a obstruct obstruct obstruction. It's, it doesn't create as much of an obstruction. Is that a right word? Is that a, is that an okay word? I'll allow it. It. Does. <laughs> I, I think he's. I don't think a he's one hundred percent there. But when a cowbell comes in, you're like, okay, dude, that's a bold move, right? But a tambourine can sit in the mix and provide a rhythm to it that just it it helps with the feeling. It helps with the motion and do the shaker in the song. When it comes in, I'm just like, damn, it 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 needed that. And so, anyway, I love the shaker in this song. It is actually my favorite musical element. But I do, I do want to ask. Okay, go ahead, Dan. No, I, I don't mind you pointing out the shaker, but your defense of the tambourine is making me uncomfortable. I, I, yeah. Well, it's it's because you're wrong about tambourines. I would, I would. Probably... When I see a tambourine. I see the, the mother on the Partridge Family hitting her hip with. Oh, not me, dude. See, when I when I hear a tambourine, I think of a drummer rocking balls on the crash, maybe a lead guitar octave line with some powerful chords behind it, maybe some oohs and ahs in the background, and it's just this driving. And then there's a tambourine in the background that you don't even necessarily recognize is there because the drummer's riding on the crash, but the tambourine is providing a sense of rhythm that just makes you want to just put your, put your head up with your eyes closed and be like, yes. I love myself a good tambourine and shaker, dude. I really do. And I, there are elements, I'm telling you, a tambourine, there's a tambourine in a spot in songs that you don't realize is there. It's there, and it's doing exactly what it needs to. Anyway. I need to start a new quest in life. I need to start finding tambourine. <laughs> you will, you'll discover them in songs that you're like, I didn't realize it was there. Anyway, uh, Shaker's Greatness. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I'm going to try to keep this one. I, I, I want to ask, because my, my nerd-level detail, is it okay if I go into this right now? My nerd-level detail on this song, I, I actually was... I, I was I, one side effect of this podcast that I want to say is is been very fun for me that I didn't anticipate is <clears throat> I've always had a love for music theory and kind of the reasons behind feeling music and exploring that and digging deep into it. And music theory can help explain those things in very real terms. And that's what kind of excites me about it. But I'm not a music theory guru by any means. I'm not classically trained in music theory or any of that, but I've done plenty of studying. And what happens with certain music theory concepts is that if you don't immerse yourself in it, it's like anything. If you don't practice it, you lose a bit of it. And so there are certain things within music theory that it's like, all right, what is that thing called again? What is this thing doing? And, uh, and so this platform has kind of helped push me to, to go like, all right, what was this thing? And so instantly when I heard this song, I was like, this is in Phrygian mode. And, but I knew there was a little piece of this. I'm like, it's in, what is it? What, what is this thing called again? And so I had to look it up and it's Phrygian dominant. And so I want to talk about Phrygian dominant mode and what that is, because it's instrumental to why this song sounds the way that it does. So I want to ask Michael, though, before I get kind of into modes of music, 
like when you hear a song that is clearly happy, all right, and then you hear a song that feels totally different, do you ever think to yourself, I wonder why? Or what, when it comes to like, why does this song sound the way that it does? Have you ever really thought about why does this metal song sound really dark? But then this song by, you know, Snoop Dogg sounds this way. And then this song by, I don't know, name any pop, uh, uh, Maroon 5. Why does this sound happier than this other one? Do, do you kind of like, like what, what goes on in your mind when you hear those differences? If I can ask that. Oh, I... Uh... I wonder about that often, not so much in how how they created it, but the intention behind creating it. Yeah, so how, how, how do you use these different sounds and the arrangement of such sounds to evoke different emotions other than the obvious, you know, like a harp is going to sound... Yeah, so when it comes to the layers and how they layer it, absolutely. And I, I guess the reason I ask is because you not, as, as, you not being a musician... Um, I often wonder if it even crosses people's minds that just maybe solely focus on a melody or a lyric and questioning, like, how come this one sounds really happy and the other one doesn't? I think somebody maybe just likes the, the, just the mood hits them and they like a certain mood, but they don't necessarily explore the differences. Well, in music, you, you, have, you have major and minor keys. I'm sure you've heard of the concept of major and minor, right? Major typically sounds happier or brighter and minor typically would sound darker or sad. And uh, um, <clears throat> those, those would explain keys. There are 30 different keys that you could play in, but I, I'm not going to go into those. But the, um, there are modes that they have in music that help to, if you play in those modes, you begin to feel different things. And it's amazing how even one note that changes in a scale can change the entire mood of the song. And so <clears throat> if you're talking about feeling bright or dark, this song has a bit of a dark, Middle Eastern, in a trance kind of a sound. And it's not, it, 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 and that's what Phrygian mode does. So if you think of your, your typical major scale, your major key that would have a bright or happy sound, it's Ionian. Ionian is, an, is the mode that's really just the major scale. And then uh, if you visualize on a piano, and this is really important if you have any level, if, you, if you're not sure what modes are, you can find all kinds of tutorials on them, especially on YouTube. And I'd encourage you, if this kind of intrigues you in the slightest, look up some of these because they're very fun to watch. But if you look at a piano, you have white keys and you have black keys, and the black keys are the sharps and flats. And then the white keys are all just the natural modes. And so if you do away with the black keys for a bit, um, just the reason that band's called the Black Keys. So do away with the Black Keys, and we're going to talk about the White Stripes, the White Keys, for a little bit. So you, uh, if you start in the key of C, and then your notes, you only go from, if you, let's start with A, you go from A to G. There is no note that's an H. So you have those seven notes that you can go through. Uh, you have 12 notes if you include the sharps and flats. Again, we're getting rid of those. And if you start with the C, you've got C, D, E, F, G, A, B, and then you go back to C. And all of those notes, starting with the root of the C, is in Ionian. That's your major scale. Then if all you do is you start with the D now, and D is your home, and so you go D, E, F, G, A, B, C, 
that's now Dorian mode. And if I had a, a, a piano or I picked up my guitar and could show you the feeling of the major, the Ionian mode, when starting with C, and then the feeling of Dorian mode when you go to D, it's different and it's amazing. And all you did was you moved up, but you're in a different key signature now. But uh, then if you start with the E and you've got E, F, and see what's significant about that is when you go from C to D, you have a whole step. So you've got a C and then a C sharp and then a D and you go up a whole step. But when you're in Phrygian mode and you go E to F, there is no E sharp or F flat. You go directly from E to F, there's no step in between. So you have this half step going from E to F and think of the, of the song from Jaws. Dun -dun, dun -dun. Dun -dun -dun -dun. That's E to F, basically. That's, that's, what, that's a Phrygian mode. And it's got this creepy, dark feeling to it. So a lot of metal is in that, like think, think of Metallica or Tool or uh, um, <clears throat> what's actually specific a, a bit about Tool and uh, Dream, what's that, what's that? Dream Theater. Dream, Dream Theater, thank you. They write stuff in Phrygian dominant. So here's what you have. If you stayed, again, we're not talking about sharps and flats. If you've got E, F, G in Phrygian mode, when you sharp that third, so you go E to F, and then you go G sharp and A, what's cool about that now is you have two series of notes. You've got E, F, and then you've got G sharp and A, which are right next to each other too. And so your first four notes in Phrygian dominant mode the first two are right next to each other, and the second two are right next to each other. And it creates this kind of Middle Eastern, what you'd consider more of Eastern music, think Egyptian, and it creates this kind of trance kind of sound. And so when you have this in metal music, it can really provide this dark and almost a little bit, um, I, I wanna use the word triumphant, because it's got a little bit of this, uh, um, it, 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 it grips you. It's not full-blown evil dark. There's a sense of wonder in it. You, you know what I'm saying? There's a sense of magic in it. And that's provided by that specific Phrygian dominant mode. And for them to write a song that's about having people entranced and hordes of people, and they do it in the Phrygian dominant mode, you couldn't pick a better mode to write this song in. If you wrote it in a major key, this song would suck. I'm telling you it would. Phrygian dominant is the mode to write this in. It gives you a little bit of that snake charmer effect. And so um, I, I thought it would be important. The next mode, there, there are really, <clears throat> you have seven modes. You've got Ionian, which is your major. Then you have Dorian, Phrygian, and then Lydian. What's, what's, I, I wanna speak to Lydian real quick, even though this song isn't in it, because our intro song that I have is in Lydian mode. And when I think of Lydian, it's funny, probably a song everybody would know would be the Simpsons theme song. That's actually in Lydian mode. And it's got this kind of bright, happy feeling to it. But then you also have a lot of music that's in Lydian mode that feels kind of regal or just there's a, there's a bit of one, like some, some Star Wars scenes that would have like Yoda in it would be in Lydian mode. So it's bright, it's not dark because Yoda's not an evil character, but there's a sense of, of mystic wonder to it. So where Phrygian has this dark mystic, Lydian has this bright mystic. Think about a king in a castle, you know, and, and you, like a Narnia. That's a Lydian mode mindset is, is that, and it gives you this kind of feeling a little bit of wonder. And so as you shift your mode and you move it up, that's how you create some of those. And you have Mixolydian, 
um, which which kind of some blues music is is a bit in Mixolydian and Aeolian. Um, Aeolian's your natural minor. When you think of this things in a minor key, it's Aeolian. Then you have Locrian, which there's almost no songs written in Locrian mode. It's very it's, it's a very dark, mysterious mode. And we don't have to, I'm not gonna explain every single mode, but I, I would encourage anybody to explore more what those are because it will begin to make you go, that's why this song sounds happy. That's why this song sounds, you know, why blues being in that either Aeolian or, or like Mixolydian. Um, what, what's the song, You Really Got Me? Da -da -da -da. Da -da 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 -da. That's Mixolydian mode, and, and and so you can you can have a little bit. It, it's it's not it's not full blown bright happy. It's a little bit upbeat, but then it's got some of these you know different different elements, and so it kind of helps to explain that mood. And this song, what a perfect song to to be able to kind of begin to describe how you can accomplish that and achieve that. And so when you hear those, man, it kind of gets me excited. That was the first, first th when I heard this song and you told me about it and I put it on, I'm like, that's Phrygian. It's Phrygian and then there's this extra little spice that I had to go back and like, it's Phrygian dominant. That's what that means. And, uh, or that's what that thing is. And so I, it was kind of exciting for me to, to kind of get back on that wheel a little bit. Do you know the first time I ever heard anybody exploring those modes was uh you and sean cran do you remember sean cran talking about those modes? man he taught me so much man not just about guitar but music <laughs> theory and and everything and that's kind of what absolutely man yeah i remember him going over this and we were we were kind of replicating some of uh, duplicating some of it on uh with guitar chord uh scales and um no i found it fascinating and I, it's kind of funny because it's one of those things that if you've listened to a lot of music, you've heard it all. It's not like, you know, but to have a, a label for it and then to be able to pick it out. And, um, yeah, no, it's a, that was really well done, Brandon. Thank you. That boy, talk about nerd level. That's, yeah. That's, that's next right. level nerd it's, level. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to be able to know how you can create no, that I, mood because it's, it, it, yeah, anyway. Well, it's it's ironic to the theme of the song because to go through to go to such lengths in musical arrangement and composition for a song to evoke certain emotions and responses from the audience, it, it kind of, there's a double narrative of, of trance-like behavior. And that's, that's kind of one thing that writing for me, it's like the largest love-hate relationship with writing is the person that requires the most criticism should always be um, the the writer themselves you know like if you're writing about different subjects and if i'm investigating you know certain topics the person that needs to always be held at the highest accountability is the you know the narrator the person that's writing it and so it just that's nice sometimes if if you can develop some humility but most of the time you're discovering things about yourself that you were like oh i didn't realize such vanity was buried so deep within me um so i would be kind of interested in in arranging the song and writing this song you know how much the narrator um sees their own involvement in the the subject matter because even that even that line you know he's he's wearing tattoos and he's calling you dude i i i almost want to guess that there was a fan interaction that the singer had with one of their fans and they were like oh my God, 
I'm helping contribute and create to the people who I, I, I do not like, you know, but anyways, um, so I wouldn't doubt that at all. I, I, uh, um, I, and what a, uh, what a lofty experience. What a, what a privilege it is really, uh, for him to have the ability to explore that, uh, and and you know, essence still make money with it, still get followers, you know. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. It's a myth to think that we, um, you know, we we get this illusion sometimes with celebrity that I I I always find fascinating, where um, we we share so much. Uh, of their content that, uh, and then we think we know them and we don't know them. And, um, um, but I would like to think that he used this as a tool of, of reflection. I don't know whether he made any changes with it or whether he was just, uh, acknowledging it. Um, you know, he certain, I mean, he was widening the lane. He, I, I, it's, it's, it's funny too, the, you know, when you listen to all of the songs on the album, uh, uh, and this song isn't, it's not the first song on the album. I guess it's the third song on the album. I think it's the third song on the album. Um, but he named the album Comfort Eagle. So he was, I think he's pretty aware of where he's at in this. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the, I don't know, occupational hazards with sarcasm and, and satire. Um, I had a really... I had a few negative experiences with sarcasm. When I first got clean, um, I, I definitely used it as kind of a deflection or, you know, coping mechanism if I didn't feel comfortable in a social situation or if I wanted to compliment someone, you know, I'd say something sarcastic. Or, But I remember having some experiences where I was sarcastic and I, the person didn't pick up on it and it, I think it hurt their feelings or like I offended them and, and I just felt like an asshole, you know? And so there, there came, there came a point where I just decided that I'm just going to try and be as sincere as I can most of the time. Um, and at least with people that I'm not super close with, because I realized that one thing you're doing, one thing I was doing when I was being sarcastic is you're, you're kind of uh, saying that you're not that way. You know, you're, you're making fun of a certain thing and you're insinuating that you're not that way, and especially with satire, too. So even at the most, you know, grandiose level of George Orwell in 1984, a, a novel that's easily, uh, you know, one of the greatest written in the 20th century, there's so much political satire, there's so much social commentary. You know, even Orwell himself, right, like, would be a fool if he didn't hold himself accountable and wonder, you know, how, how he was contributing or, or behaving in such a society, you know what I mean? So it just runs the gamut, no matter how intellectual you are, how, how deeply groomed you are in your artistry, when you start being sarcastic and satirical about things, you just need to be cautious <laughs> that what is your part as the narrator, because you can really fly off the handle, you know what I mean? And that's, that's where we get, you know, obviously we're opening another door that we should uh, Stay closed. I will apologize for my commentary towards Miss Dolly Parton and how I completely <laughs> objectify, objectified her. I just couldn't miss the opportunity of I just wanted to think of the most um, uh, grossly monetized thing that could have happened that 
helps Sully to read. So I do not specifically think of Dolly Parton as an object, but I just thought if there was a dude listening to her music that was in a trance over her physical appearance and that helps Sully to read 50 years later, that is amazing. And it gives me a lot more hope in my fellows. I like your spirit, Michael. I'm happy that you wouldn't have been able to sleep at night without I, I, mentioning that at the end. I, I, I agree. Your I level have, of self-examination is noble. It's why I love you. That is going to be the last time that I make a joke about a woman's chest. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> you were making your point very clear before. I felt like you, you, it, it, it went without saying that you were trying to you know, explain why that might be a difficult concept for people to wrap their mind around. I didn't think it was you lusting after her in any You're going to see me walking around with my eyes pointed at the sky now, <laughs> unless I'm at home. <laughs> well, what are, uh, Michael, do you have any other closing thoughts that you want to get off your chest about this song? <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Uh, I'll take that as a no. Um, I have... Uh, <laughs> Okay, I just wanted to look at what I had for notes on life application, and apparently I wrote, watch out for this guy. He sounds like bad news. <laughs> so I might have been talking about the Comfort Eagle. <laughs> Dad, why don't you wrap this one up for us, man? Sometimes um, if we don't have a good enough life application, we need our guest to come in, so no pressure, but say something better no. than me. I, I mean, will. I have one, but I, I'm looking at the uh, WAV files, and my whole my whole third-level detail <laughs> took up quite a bit. I apologize oh, for that no, going long. No, you did, you did I, fine. I don't, you, you'd be I able to summarize made, it. I think we've way. made most of the... Uh, the points. If you'd like to, if you'd like to have a, if you have a life application, you'd like to no, share. Mine, it, it's been all, it's been mixed in. Like you said, it's just all, all of this was kind of centered around that kind of. Can I can I say something about the? Um, uh, I know this so when it's, when he says that we're building a religion, he's not talking about organized religion as this is. But um, the reason that that comparison that simile works so well in the song is because. It's so easy to find those same characteristics in religion. You're just looking for followers. You got the you know people nowadays. You've got these youth pastor type guys that are turning their hats backwards and calling you dude. They're serving the food, and um, they're you, we're now taking callers for these pennant keychains or for these holy hankies or whatever. And um, and they're biting the apple and still ignoring the cardboard shanties and tents. And it's uh, um, so that's the reason that when he says we're building a religion, instantly your mind goes to, oh wow, they're they're what they're building really is is is, uh, you know, something big, and they're always expanding. We're always got a building project, and we need more money. We need your help. You got to call in, get those donations. Call in, we'll get you a free, whatever, and. Um, and still ignoring the needs of the masses. Brandon? I <clears throat> I know that's a lot of silence there. I do I do think that concept went a little bit without saying in my mind because um I, I do think I do think you vocalizing it, and of course when you first hear the song and he talks about building the religion, I mean, you, you have to, that parallel is, it's right in there. I mean, he actually legitimately wrote it. 
And I think that 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 concept of having hordes of kind of cultish followers, so to speak, can can go across multiple different forms or multiple different avenues within business and 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 what have you. And uh, um, I do feel like most of my life, I don't remember the term hipster being there when I was in my formative years. I don't know if it's a newer term or if it just never came across my, my radar. But the term hipster would have definitely defined a bit of, uh, I don't want to be defined as that now, <laughs> as hipsters don't want to be, right? And so uh, I don't look the part necessarily. I don't try to act the part. But there is a bit of, uh, in, in us all, we all don't want to follow that. We all don't want to be the person that's duped right? We want to have a sense of belonging. We, we want to be a part of a, of a sensible community, of, of something that, that makes sense to us. But what can happen is, is when your desire to, uh, when your desire to be loved and be a bigger part of that community overrides, you know, uh, blinds you from taking a step back to say, what's really going on here? Um, that can be where the the trick is being played upon you, or and and it's not even so much that there's a a, a puppeteer, you know. I, I don't mean to paint that a little bit like somebody's intentionally trying to do this. In some cases, it, it may be there, but like anything, and Michael, you even said it, I think, in a previous episode. It's hard to build something without having funds to do it, right? So it's in any situation where you're trying to get your music, create your art and get it out everywhere. Like if I wanted thousands of people to try to hear this podcast, I'd have to monetize the hell out of it. I'd have to do all kinds of different, you know, self-promotions and all these things that can be looked upon as like, well, what's, what's, what's your intent right now? What is it? So you can either you can either have you know thirty to fifty people listen to this, or you can really try really hard to do things to attract more people and to put this out there and and do whatever. And that battle is going to be in anything that you're going to try to put out. So if you're going to start a religion or start a church, you know, within a community, you're going to have to do some level of monetizing for it. And so it, it's there's this duality. There's this there's it it. It tears you. So you can either take the funds that people give you to buy computers for your church and build a gym with basketball hoops to attract more youth and attract more people, or you can use it to feed the poor in your community and stay small and maybe not get too many funds in the future. And there's this battle, there's this push pull with any of those things. And it can come from a place where they, where, you know, somebody would sincerely want to do good for their community sincerely want to do good with spreading the word of whatever their cause is, but in turn overlook and step on the people around them. So that battle that Cake is having in their mind looking out, it's like, well, I don't want to stop making music. I don't want to stop touring. I want to be able to make this money so I can put food on my plate. But yeah, there's a bit of these people in their cardboard shanties and they're, they're giving me a book. But what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Stop making music and doing what you love? To, what what does that do for what does that do for the you know what I mean? There's this. It's, it, I I love how it kind of it just brings in that uh, that duality. Yeah, bit of personal testimony to end end it. Perhaps that's the insanity for me. That this will maybe help you understand why I see a bit of insanity with reconciling um, 
you know, organized religion from my perspective is, and, and some people from this church may be listening to this and, and might be unsettling for them to hear or maybe not, but I was baptized and I had a lot of formative years in developing my current relationship with God at a church that I no longer attend, at a church that I choose no longer to support financially, right? And at a church that I would, I would love to just have discussions with people about so that we can bounce off our ideas of um, God and fellowship and what's right and what's wrong and how to go about it, you know? But at the end of the day, I owe a lot of what I have thinking and feeling wise to a place that I no longer support. So at some point, you know what I mean? Those funds and, and those things that I, I don't agree with churches hiring consulting firms to help them strategize um, and promote fellowship. You know what I mean? I do, not, I do not support that. But at the same time, that's something that somehow helped me get into small groups and connected with people and triggered some things in my brain that have led me to where I'm at. So it's just kind of insane. That's what makes it hard, I think, for us to reconcile um, is this proper or is this necessary to a community or not? And that's when, you know, I think we all would agree things have, um, you know, so much, you know, can, can have value and hazard at the same time. And that's what's so difficult to know. Yeah, that's why we, we consistently run into this. How do we not draw lines and stay in the in-between? And I think grace, you know, I think what we've talked about, no matter what we Amen. do, I think grace is is the the answer to that and whatever our dealings are. And I've thought about that a lot, especially since we started this podcast. There's times where I say things that, you know, I'm no I no longer um refer to myself as a Christian, but someone who says they, you know, they believe in God and I have a personal relationship with God. But sometimes that that it, um asks the question, well, why don't you go to church anymore? You know, do you not support organized religion? And so I've had to think, well, how would I respond to that, you know? And and it's really come on my heart lately. It's it's like why don't you wrestle with that the same way you would want others to wrestle with it, with some grace? And so hmm. that's, that's what this podcast has helped me grow into is challenging, being challenged myself. Yeah, because even though there is that duality, there is a, there is a middle ground, so to speak. There is this, what are, what's the intention? And I think intention matters. And, you know, we grew up in a church system that was kind of good intentions aren't enough, right? But I do think that the intention behind why are you getting the computers for your church instead of giving it to the poor? Because it's not wrong to buy computers for your church and it's not wrong to give to the poor. But what, what kind and how much and what are the intentions, what's the use, all has to play a part. So you can't just simply look at a building made of brick that has people come in and the contents of what are inside and judge it by that. And it's, it's, too, it's too much to take on. So at the end of the day, what you do have to do is have that grace that you said, that benefit of the doubt, that second chance. It's like, you know what? I can't, I can't just assume right now that this is all corrupt. There has to be a good intention somewhere in there. And if that gets violated, that's a different story. Call that out and ensure that that doesn't get duplicated, right? Not all of it is okay that it just happens till the end of time. But intention matters. And extending that grace when you don't know the intention of the person has, has to be, it's exactly what I settled in my mind. I can't, I can't talk about the concepts that I learned in church that I might not agree with right now without having a great deal of context behind it 
and certain scenarios where, you know, it, it, certain, certain, um, conclusions I've come up to, they, they've been derived from, from years of, of thought and understanding and grace extended. And at the end of the day, I, I really do believe that there are many people that they're seeking their own truth. They're trying to do what they feel is, is right and what they love and what they believe in. And you can't condemn that and you can't rebuke that if it's genuine within themselves. Darren, you want to close us out? No, that's well said. And I think again, um, this this song uh, asks ma makes us ask ourselves a lot of questions, and to me that that's always more important than giving you a bunch of answers. Uh, and um, and hey, we're, it sounds like we're all still asking ourselves a bunch of questions about organized religion, about uh, the music business, uh, and um, it's way more important to ask the questions than to uh, feel like you've got an answer for somebody else. So. It's funny because we're recording this podcast after a few that Michael and I did, and there are quite a few references to asking those questions. So <laughs> it's almost turning into what this podcast is about. And I think that's important though, because you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more that, that the asking of the question will help you discover more in the end than trying to get to know the final answer. And to end on a complimentary note, to flatter you, Darren, so settle back in your seat. It's coming. I'm just glad you're here, and thanks for joining us because you clearly had such a, you know, literally uh, parental but uh, pivotal role in establishing, helping to establish your offer, you know, the at least two sons of yours that I'm very close with. You know, Anthony and Brandon, um, in their own ways are some of the most, you know, humble people I've ever met, you know? So I, I don't think that uh, some of that is a coincidence, you know, and I've always got to chat with you, but it's difficult. That's one thing that I love about this podcast format is even though you and I have had opportunities to talk, often it'll be maybe 10, 15 minutes here and there when we're at different, you know? So when we set aside, when Brandon and I are able to set aside a couple hours to sit down and talk with someone else, you get to go a little, you know, deeper and get more granular into that person and what they think and what they feel. And uh, it's been really um, illuminating. And I'm not surprised at all. A lot of stuff that you've brought up, I've been really intrigued by uh, talking. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that all those years, little did you know, you might not have been buying books for Sully. <laughs> But you were having impacts. I think I have literally bought a couple. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think he has done both of that. All right. Anyways. Awesome. Thank you, Michael.